Can you please state your name for the record? <laughs> Emma Jasmine Fishwick. Oh. I've always wondered how that's pronounced. Well, I'm Matthew Thomas Cornell. Oh, Thomas. Mm, I didn't mm, realize that. Mm. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I... I think a better question than the what are you up to, what are you working on, mm-hmm. is like what's invading your dreams? Uh, my daydreaming or my night dreaming? Because <laughs> I don't night dream. Oh. <laughs> Not that I can recall. Yeah, right. Well, daydreams then. I'll take what I can give. Um, going to be really annoying and say that I don't even think I'm daydreaming at the moment. Because you're thinking about stuff. Mm. Mm. Pretty cool discourse. <laughs> 24 hours a day. It's what I fall asleep thinking about. Okay. So. Tell me more about the, what, like, what do you mean? I fall asleep thinking about deadlines. Okay. <laughs> I fall asleep thinking about the works that I've made over the last two years. Mm-hmm. Or a year and a half. Analyzing them, situating them in relation to the theoretical stuff that I'm doing. Trying to work out the puzzle that is academic dance discourse, mm. <laughs> uh, amongst other areas of theoretical and philosophical philosophical um, discussion. Are you philosophically inclined? I think so. Mm. I've discovered. Because I don't actually care about <laughs> methodology <laughs> and, and um, the way we make things okay. in, on, in like a really formal kind of way. Yeah. Um, in pure dance kind of way or even pure art. It's more about like why do we see the way we see? Mm. Why do we move the way we move? Mm. How do we read social texts? cultural texts, political texts, in simple, you know, do you mean, things that we do. Ah, right. Just through imagery. Do through you mean texts, like, not written things, but, like, no, contexts? Like, yeah. So, yeah. I didn't know you could do that to that word. Right. That there's... Is it spelt the same as... Text. Text? Yeah. Oh, wow. But, like, I think um, text as in, like, common understandings. Ah, so, like, you look at pink and the social yes. text for that would be, yes. or the gender text for that is yes. female. This at is like a Western perspective of yes. things. But the West is in charge for now. Yes. For the... For but maybe my, not for long. <laughs> as far as I can intellectualise timeline, yeah. they've been in control. Um, but, yes. Yeah. Only for a few hundred years, I think. But yeah. China had its day in the sun and India had its day in the sun. Yes. Even um, part of the Middle East even had its day in the sun, probably. Who? Like, um, I'm going to scrap this from the Oh, dialogue. like Iran yeah. and Iraq and, yeah. yeah. Persia. Persia, yeah. Became, yeah okay. Egypt. Definitely, yeah. Apparently mm-hmm. Egypt was crazy advanced before the Romans tried to conform it yeah. to the Roman in, uh, wisdom. Mm. <coughs> and they, they built the pyramids. So <laughs> they did something, yeah. Or the aliens did, depending on who you talk to. Ah. Um, but yeah, so 
and but dance mm. and dancing because you're not dancing while you're writing all these things you're making no. things on other people while you're writing all these things y- yeah well yes I guess so it was there was never an overlap like I was never making and then writing in the evenings oh, um, okay because that's the only way I do it really yeah I have okay. things that I'm thinking about and then I will get it will stop basically it'll mm. it'll circle you know when you only know one chorus mm-hmm. to a song mm-hmm. <laughs> and you think you're launching into the next one and ah, I've looped back around it's like that for me if it's all linguistic right and then if I dance regardless of whether it's related or not mm. somehow it activates and offers up other thoughts I, it's like bathing my Mm. brain in whatever juices it needs to think which I think is why people tinker with things as well like Mm. they don't know until it reveals itself through action and interaction yeah which is still what happens when I'm making I still do like the responsive writing in the morning so Mm. like I'll dance and then I'll do the writing and then I'll do the drawing that's Mm. still the same so in a way I am writing in that context okay but I'm not writing I don't come home and then write like you know, a chapter in my exegesis about <laughs> about what I did that day. Um, right. I don't break down. Like, I completely stepped away from what I thought, mm. what I thought was, like, academic research. Um, obviously, practices research view is, you know, even the making, even if you're not sitting down and writing a chapter that evening, is still research. So mm. I hadn't fully stepped away from it, I guess. I just wasn't actively pursuing the writing side of it at the time of making the works. Yeah, but perhaps you were writing in your language, not in their language. Yeah. And that's, that's probably for the best. Yeah, and I, the more I reflect on it now, because I'm in the process of actually reflecting back on all the things I've made and analysing them, or mm. trying to recall my thought process and put it in context of all the big theories I've been working with. I always knew when I made work, I often didn't understand what it was that I was making until after I stopped making it and was watching it. Yeah. It's like when it was in its performance mode, for example. Well, that makes sense. But I also wonder how do you make decisions about what needs to happen? Yeah. Well, we'll get to that part. (laughs) But, like, the part first, though, what I was going to say is that... um, you make the work thinking yeah. you don't know what you're doing, yeah. thinking you don't know what it's about. Then you see it and then you realise what it really is about and what it really is that you're aiming towards. So it's through that reflection, that distance or um, stepping outside of, you know, the formal aspect of, you know, X comes after Y mm. or whatever. Um, no, no, X comes after Y. I'm sure it does. <laughs> I see how, did you see that brain fire? I totally oh, second-guessed myself. Um, no, no, it's... But yeah, uh, you know, that, that is exactly how I also do this experience of writing a master's. Like, I need to make the work. I don't yeah. know really what the research is in that. Yeah. And then I, now I'm writing about it. I'm like, oh, now I know what it's about. Do you think if you went and danced, and you would, the dancing would be different or you would dance something in response to your writing and thinking? Actually, don't answer that one, because I want you to answer this one. Mm. 
you, when you were dancing and writing, you were writing in your own language. Mm. And now that you're reflecting, you're writing in the language that is called for in mm. this context. And I want to know if there's an expectation that you should have made movement in the language of this context. Or if you think you have, or if you consciously try not to, um, or if there's no expectation because movement is not the language of academia. So, not yet, can't. at least. Well, probably never, right? Because well, I, yeah, I guess so. But I, the point of doing the masters, I guess, is to start to try and bridge the gap between those two worlds a bit more because of words and movement. Yeah, or you know, justifying why movement is a form of academic knowledge, which mm. is hard to prove all of the time in words um we'll get the ac- here in australia it's hard to get them to maybe accept it um but the academics are not embodied people some are because they're some of their their academic research is in the act of being embodied so i would <laughs> maybe it's so they go walking me, to but i would argue things. that a mechanic would be more um empathetic to your position than a professor. Yeah, I guess, but I say that as a generalisation, <laughs> and he knows that it's the knowledge is in like his physical agency mm. and doing. And there's a big field in it, okay. the action through doing. Like it's very big part of practices what about of research. The, like, also looking cool, because dance is doing, mm. but also looking. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I didn't even think about that yet. So you don't think so? I, I just haven't really gave given weight like, to that idea. <laughs> there's moves that we do to affect things in the world, and somehow dancing a lot of the time is um, excused from needing to mean anything um, specific. No, I mean needing to achieve the milking of a cow or needing to oh, achieve yeah. the pumping up of a tire. Like you can do moves without needing to affect another object, and it still is doing something hmm. not always not always do you mean doing something as in like causing affect uh no <laughs> i kind person of watching mean or doing it it is a thing it's just a thing yeah like it's a happening if you see someone <laughs> in the park waving their arms around mm. you're like, oh. but then if you see them doing it in a sequence mm. it's a thing mm-hmm. it goes from being pedestrian it goes from being nothing to, being, to something. Yeah. I don't even know because I think I see something <laughs> lazy Tai Chi and it looks pretty pedestrian. Yeah, that's true. Um, I guess it's just the context that you provide around it. Yeah, and it's always good if you're just listening to music as you see this person do it because then you've got a soundtrack and mm. then it's a montage. Yeah. And then it it's helps you to seductive. like relate to things to get you going yeah imagination wise um well I guess it's also ties back that thing of like well do we so do we just do moves because we think they're cool yep that was the first 10 years of my career I mean it's probably most people's careers um for the first 10 years (laughs) but and then when the choreographer didn't let you do the cool move you're like oh you just don't get it (laughs) You don't understand how it makes me feel. <laughs> you don't understand how cool this one yeah. is. I mean, I don't think I ever probably fully operated in that realm. 
the closest I probably came to it was trying to do moves that I thought I hadn't necessarily incorporated in my work yet mm. that I thought were difficult and I thought I should try and conquer them so I put them in the work mm. it wasn't because they were cool it was because they were probably something that I hadn't you know something that encourages more bend in my legs or something that makes me you know do some sort of suspended action on the ground like you know it's just it was something that I feel I hadn't really conquered yet and so I should put it in the work mm. it's not because it looked cool maybe when I was at uni <laughs> I just remember everything upside down being cooler <laughs> Yeah, well, around the world. So yeah. I used to think they were the coolest thing I'd ever done because being a ballet dancer, you know, you don't really do that. Yeah. Um, but the place where I'm at now... Is different. Is... More evolved. Movement doesn't actually mean, need to mean anything to me at all. It's, you know, irrelevant. So when you make tasks, yes, they are pulled. Words and statements you pull out to give to the dancers are, you know, sort of placed in the context of you know the themes that you're working in but they're generally like fringe ideas mm. that give you a sense of the idea that you're going to you're working with and then what they produce because I don't go into depth about it I don't go oh yes I've chosen this word because of blah 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 I just give them the word or the statement and they off they go which is very normal so then they produce something and I rarely work longer than an hour with them on it or if even and five minutes <laughs> and that's it what they produce is it and then the work is knitting it together and splicing it up and reframing referencing the context that you create with it i think is what i find interesting mm -hmm. making movement is anyone can do that anyone my housemates can do it I saw it. They can do it. <laughs> like, it's how you... It's the context you create. It's the... You see um, those YouTube videos about non-English non speakers singing English songs? No. It's very cool. Because obviously the pronunciation is terrible. Mm. And in, in songs anyway, the pronunciation is not how it is spoken. Um, but if you were to re-sing it and you understood that language then you would fill in the gaps mm. but these people don't speak that don't speak the language that the song's in so they're singing purely sounds like what you're talking about they're singing mm. purely from how it sounded to them mm. not because they've linked it with what that word is and but then the most interesting part about the whole phenomena to me was that i filled in the gaps because i am an english speaker mm. And so they're not singing English, mm. but I'm hearing it. Mm. That's just perspective. That's human perspective. It's the way you read things, I guess. Or yeah. interpret things or make understandings of things. Yes. Um, because I think maybe the point of difference is, in this instance, mm. um, the people I'm working with all come from the same speaking language um, and cultural context and mm -hmm. similar experiences we're all white we're all born in Australia mm -hmm. we're all similar economic you know sort of mm -hmm. social standing um, similar training so when I throw out ideas to them they have their personal interpretation of it their immediate understanding of it but then that also you know which is a sensorial response or associations uh, 
imagined associations and then also the social text, the cultural text, political text, whatever that is attached to the word. So that's all mashed into how they then respond to what you give them, whether they're conscious of it or not. And then when I watch what they give me, I'm seeing it through the lens of my research. So I'm seeing the landscapes and I'm seeing the way the things are relating to things, mm -hmm. which is, from my point of view, not their point of view, per se. Mm -hmm. But somehow, because I haven't drilled into them, like, I want it done this kind of way, and here are five counts of eight, work from that, like, of my own steps, it's still there voice I guess in the work to a degree I don't try to like stamp it out with my own vocabulary um, so there's this sort of twofold sort of thing happening where I'm like seeing my research reflected into them but then their view of the world is being given to me at the same time I don't know. it's all about the perspective Mm. the way we interpret things mm. I think I've been interested in perspective but in a, the paradigm shift of the different uh, videoing that we now have available to us in 360 footage and drone footage mm -hmm. and that both of these things are now consumer available and without purpose mm because a, a camera from the 1900s to the iPhone mm. does the same thing. You frame a shot mm. and you capture a still image of what you framed. And then it, these other two things that I've been trying to work out just don't... A lot of... When I've been trying to make drone footage, it's seeing... It feels devoid of subject. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like unless it's an ad for a vacation location, but they, holiday vacation location. <laughs> vacay loco. Mm. Uh, then okay. it seems without point. Right. Like who would want to look at it? And then yeah. for the 360, the work of the curator, like the eye, mm. is, hasn't been done yet. And you have to do it, but if you weren't there, you don't have the context and the history to know where to look because that moment has been led up to yeah and and usually you position yourself in a way where you don't have to see behind you mm. but a 360 is looking in all directions all the time so you're actually when you look back through a 360 video you're in one of the most awkward positions <laughs> Like you're on the table where someone's cutting the cake, but the crowd is behind you. You're not part of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because if you were part of, then you'd have like people's ears and stuff beside you instead of more information. So the paradigm shift of perspective, I don't, I, I wonder if it's just going to be, they're just things that we've tried that are going to fall away. Maybe. I think it's just adding to the, you know, dimensionality of, our understanding of the world because mm. we used to just like you said yes the, the, the photo taking hasn't really shifted greatly except the fact that things are more immediate now from you know from originally you had to stand for hours or not hours but for a very long time until the yes. photo was actually taken and then mm. yeah okay that we fixed that problem and now it's like oh we wait for like a week or two weeks before we get the negatives back and then now it's like well we can get it 
take the photo instantly whilst moving get it crisp and see it immediately afterwards so that's the bit that's changed with that but then also like we're used to obtaining things through like seeing things from like you know 2d almost Mm. to now we can go anywhere and everywhere and obtain any Mm. understanding of it from any perspective Mm. whether that's from satellites or from a 360 camera or a drone well there was some times when i was flying the drone i thought oh this location's not cool enough because if I need to go high to fly this thing then the view that I'm going to get is just a satellite view Mm. and I've already got that Mm. (laughs) and I've got access to that but it's the difference though you're like physically operating where the camera goes whereas when you're dealing with the satellite you're just typing in a few things which doesn't have like yeah you're still telling the camera to to go somewhere and look something in the sky but I guess the engagement with your body is less can be yeah there's less risk of crashing yeah there's you know but i wonder if like part of the allure of remote controlled objects is the exact same lure of the trained animal the dog or the eagle or whatever that you've trained to be to work in partnership with you to extend your agency beyond your physical capacity um so maybe i'll know that when i have a pet and I train it. Yeah. Or just, you know, a drone. It's an extension <laughs> of your abilities. Yes. Whereas I think maybe because you can see it, it's tangible, you can see it moving, you can see how you're controlling it. Mm. Whereas we've just, like, there's something invisible about the, the act of obtaining knowledge through the internet because mm. you I don't see the, <laughs> you know, like that graphic of information traveling through cables like you don't see it you just know it's happening and it just happens instantaneous instantly so i yeah yes and no i feel like from working with audio Mm. i am aware of signal flow and signal pathways it only in as much as like i think that about almost every day not every day but almost every day when i turn Mm. hot water on and it flows out and I think wow this has come from somewhere it's clean I could drink it it's heated and I just turned it on and I'm going to turn it off and like almost everybody in this country has this private hot waterfall Mm. at their beckoning and and it's going to go somewhere as well I think you're unique in thinking about those (laughs) things like I think there probably are people that think about that but majority of us take it for granted would you give up, like, I don't know, heated plumbing over internet access or...? No, I think I'd do the plumbing over You'd the internet. you keep the plumbing, yeah. wouldn't you? Yeah, me too. But, again, that's because, like, I'm quite content to go and unpack or find knowledge through other means, mm. whereas the majority of our society probably just predominantly do it through the internet now. I think that most... You can Google on internet how to make hot water without having a hot water system. You know what I mean? Yeah, but I, don't you feel like every time, almost every time I hit a wall of knowledge, it was natural for me to ask somebody because mm. I assumed that someone else has already worked this out. Yep. And I just have to, like, I have to know how to interface with another human. And that that 
But then there was like times where I would ask someone something technical and they'd say, look it up. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, oh, okay, we're not bonding then. <laughs> but yeah. then I think about that when I'm dealing with making choreography with a group of people and I don't have that movement in my body. Mm. I think, wow, to access my, as the choreographer's choreography, I need to be able to interface with you and your holding of that information yeah and then to adjust it and change it like I can't just find the answer in my body and give it to you I have to find the answer in your body yeah so I think about interface as well as perspective right is that's like a 10 minute roundabout reflection on perspective hmm <laughs> <laughs> And then I wonder about agency within perspective as well when it comes to um, people that want to do things that are obviously stupid. <laughs> and you want to, you would rather that they didn't do things like um, driving dangerously or mm. um, having a vice that is going to cause them long term damage. But then. You're like, well, they're an adult. Yeah. And even though I know better, that doesn't mean that you enforce the better. It's like, you do you just let someone have the agency that to make the choices that make sense from their perspective? Mm. Um, mm. But we could bring, you know, we could zoom back in. Yeah, to maybe. as well. <laughs> <coughs> that's all a matter of, like, <laughs> circumstance. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. Do you let the dancers make decisions during performances? Yes. Well, I guess sort of, but only because I sort of allow them to make the decisions as we're making it, so... You can trust. They've naturally already made their decisions about how they're going to do things before we get to the performance. Mm. I don't rein them in. Uh, in terms of, you know, I want the exact timing. I want you to travel this exact pathway. It's like yeah. there's still an amount of negotiation um, between themselves and within themselves and in relation to what I've given them. And, like, there's all these things that shift slightly, very subtly, but... Do you feel like you're choreographing then on a different level, like on a... To, towards an outcome for the viewer or towards um, a more zoomed out level of what this show will be rather than ha what they need to do so that your vision can happen. Mm. It's a little bit of both, but I think it's more like... Because I don't necessarily think about what the audience is going to think. Like, I don't remove myself from that equation. Yes. So... However I'm feeling or getting from it, I assume, well, not assume, but that's right. sort of the gauge of what the audience is going to get. Yeah. Um, obviously, not everyone will experience the same thing. That's the whole point of the reason why I make the works the way I make them is because I don't want you to all think the same thing. Okay. I don't want you to feel the same thing. I but can craft a, like an umbrella that of like, you know, <laughs> um, so say like you, you can craft an umbrella of like this particular tone or energy or feeling yeah. 
but the degree at which you feel that or understand that yeah. varies from person to person. Do you know what I mean? So it's like I can sort of guide you in the way. There'll be like ten doors in front of you and I can guide you towards five of them mm. and you can choose which of the five doors you can go through or yeah. you like work towards one of those five doors you know do you have a different experience when each time you watch the same show of yours um yes not 100 percent, but definitely moments because i've noticed that i've actually when i start to watch works that are my own i tune out and i only catch the wave when something actually jumps out at me mm. and I get a sort of light bulb moment and go, oh, that's what that means. Mm. And every time I watch it, it will be different, that light bulb moment. I'll still see the light bulb moments from before. Sometimes I, which either confirms that existing light bulb moment or like says, nah, actually that's not what it is. And then I leave it and move on and wait for it to sort of manifest again um and how do you so yeah. do you then go and give notes to adjust things um, in a season and do you give the notes in like a a meta sense or do you give the notes in a specific you need to get to this point sooner uh when it's like moments like you know you need to get here sooner it's usually in relation to external elements like a sound cue or a lighting cue or like a really obvious thing of like you've got the material and it's really obvious like yeah that kind of thing mm. that's never really happened that last one but um with my professional dancers <laughs> maybe with the students but um yeah when it's something like kind of joltingly obvious mm. i'll address it um but you can kind of tell when someone's just like sort of had a bit of a brain fart mm. body fart moment where you're just like little glitch and they know you can tell when they know that they've done it and so they'll correct it themselves but yeah I guess no I don't know if I I'll give feedback necessarily meta um, I, I guess the question is do you ask them to to achieve the thing that you're trying to achieve or you just tell them what you think they need to do so that the thing happens like in this moment it needs to be no no <laughs> yeah it's funny because considering I think about things and view things in an almost meta way yes I don't direct in that manner it's all still very formalistic thank god so it's like because it's far more useful to well you to the reason direction. you get to these points of meta feeling is because yeah. someone has manipulated time and space yes so it's a matter of time and space no or shape or imagery or yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's 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 a matter of addressing those things because the minute you start making what well, I found the minute you start talking in a meta way towards your dancers they get all in their head mm. and less in you know the act of just going about the business of dancing yeah. and le letting the audience do the work yeah <laughs> figuring it out and like having the experience a little and that's your job as well right as a choreographer it's your yeah. job to interpret what they need to do so that yeah yeah i mean hopefully this mo the most successful moments is when the dancers through doing the act of dancing mm. somehow come out of the experience with a bit of a meta experience so then you know okay well they've all those bits have lined up and they've mm. all you know 
whatever experience they've had, whether it's like they've been talking to themselves in a narrative way or they've experienced this thing or they've connected back to some memory here or they've had like a full-on, you know, philosophical discussion with themselves in this section of the work, great. It's, you know, but, you know, move beyond just the steps or they're able to do the steps and all that at the same time. So... Are these yeah. all the works that you've made since Micro Landscapes? Uh, yeah, including Micro Landscapes. Oh like, I didn't realise I was doing it then. Okay. Um, in fact, what? viewing things or doing things the way I'm just described. Yes. Um, in fact, watching the final show in Melbourne of Micro was essentially the proposal for this thesis. Because I saw these two women who have obviously just taken over my work. It was yes. theirs. It wasn't mine. They had shifted it. It was clearly um, a landscape driven by, you know, time and space, as is the foundations of dance. Um, but and it was using it in such a way and manipulate. I could see that it was the manipulation of those things mm. that could. You didn't have to do much to actually stimulate these sort of meta experiences or feelings or imagery and you know could just all happen but it just all happened after you had done a lot of work yes yeah and I guess I realized I didn't have any language for it You're right and beyond just being like yeah it just happened like I just said then you know like it's like yeah it just happened artist is genius you know we just do these things <laughs> it's so great like that's the danger in academic dance talk sometimes right. is that we go I do therefore it is like you know it's this um, you know it doesn't do us any like we know that but it's hard to translate that to someone that does not maybe it do. just depends on your capacity for bullshit whether it's hard or not I don't find it hard but I have been told I'm a bullshit artist <laughs> as a child I don't know about anymore yeah I mean I guess it's just that thing of finding points of access for people to sort of kind of understand what it is that we experience when yes. we do stuff so it's um but it helps if you can speak in the um the format that they speak in or the or understand the way they I don't yeah know. So, so this whenever, is just one of those formats that's all yeah mm. if my dad asks what i'm up to i'll just tell him where i am right in the world working on something and he really understands that because if you're on the go yeah you're obviously busy yeah which doesn't mean that he's not interested it just means that it makes sense to me to speak the language of the person i'm speaking to yes yeah oh it's interesting when people ask me how my studies are going and they want to know mm -hmm. what my thesis is about yes and then i have to sort of combat all the different ways i could potentially explain it to them so that they might understand it and then often what happens is I just get tongue-tied and then be like, you know, it's about this and this, which doesn't really... It just leaves them more confused than right. when we began. But um, it's that experience or that slight moment in time where you, go, you have to stop and actually think about, well, what language am I going to speak to mm. them in? Dance language, academic language, mm. or like layman's terms, which is not... That's the hardest one for me with this. Yeah. Well, I assume that the layman doesn't exist. Right. And the... Um, <laughs> I was just using it as the common saying, but yes. yes. <laughs> no, 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 but that's what I'm interested in now. Okay. That if I was, if I was, 
I have heard myself say to people that I'm a contractor. Right. And it made sense in that situation. Um, and when I was going on secondments, then it would make sense to some other people if I said that I was interning or if I was apprenticing. Right. Yep. Which is not a very interesting thing to observe, actually. Now that I say it out loud. Um... But it's an important thing to do, though, sometimes because I feel like it just adds to your basket of terms and words that you understand, like that you, that you can use to articulate yourself about what mm. it is that you do. Mm. So, through having discussions like this, it's mm, given me the chance to you know, find different ways of phrasing what it is that I'm looking at. Do you have a, a desire to be understood? Um, don't we all? <laughs> Isn't that human nature? I think. Um, let's not get too. I have a here. desire um, to be um, appreciated, but not necessarily understood. <laughs> okay. Um, a lot. Yeah, maybe I think that being understood is a way to being appreciated. Mm. Um, but that's a whole nother life mm. issue there. Uh, in terms of, <laughs> I don't know. I don't need you to understand what it is that I make, though. Yeah. Okay. But I feel maybe because, you know, um, articulating myself, whether it was like in school or like verbally with people, it's always been like I'm constantly trying to like get better at it because I was told I was not good at it when I was younger. So... Who told you you weren't good at it? Like uh, your report card or something? They tried to put me in like an ESL class. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Weren't you born here? Yeah, but that's the state of my, like, uh, communication skills and my writing ability wasn't so great. So, and I think it all boiled down to the fact that I was a visual learner and I was quiet and I didn't like putting, like, speaking to people because, you know, I just like to be quiet. Um, And so I think, you know, I just didn't mesh with the way that, teaching system was in school until I hit about year nine year ten and then I was top of my class in English like it's you know out of the whole school so it's fun yeah and success story but um you know like it it stems from that it stems from that sort of I think maybe yeah I'm always really aware that um Maybe that's something that I've always tried to be good at because I've been told I wasn't good at it. And then through the process of, like, having to write grants and things, you need to be understood in a certain way so that you can get the grant so you can do what it is that you actually want to do, which is make work. So it's like this whole, you know, several scenarios in life has proven to me that the need to be understood is quite important, actually, if you want to get ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know... And then also being in relationships, that's another way of being understood. Ah. You know, like it's that thing of having to articulate yourself and having the right words because words mean different things to different people, even though there's a common meaning for most part. People interpret it in a different way sometimes. Mm. And this is all stuff you learned in your ESL class? No, (laughs) this is the last 30 years I've come to these understandings <laughs> it takes so um, long doesn't it well yeah and I feel like actually the majority of it has happened maybe in the last five and then another 
dramatic increase in the last year and a half. So particularly like the value of a word, you know, having supervisors that are purely in the sort of academic realm and or have an under, like a broad understanding of all the different sort of theories and philosophies that are attached to uses of words. So a word that I might have used because it's like gives the sense of something or I feel it I, like encapsulates something that I'm trying to say really well or in a sort of flam like flamboyant but like creative way or like they'll pull apart and be like well don't use that word because it actually is leading you to this theory and that sort of throws everything else that you've just said off the course of you know that point so mm-hmm. you know he you just start, you're just speaking as a normal human being and then they they pick out any word that you say mm. <laughs> and um Sometimes it'd be like having conversations with you. Uh, <laughs> and, and I have no qualifications. Yeah, but you know, it's that in quite like it's being quite analytical about pretty much everything, which is very tiring. <laughs> Not that you do that, but the, the experience of the masters has come yeah. that way. Right. So now I'm at this point of just, you know, <laughs> constantly trying to make sure that I'm being, I'm meaning what I'm saying. Yeah. And is that. But that doesn't necessarily extend into everyday life, just in this I, context. I was just going to ask you about <laughs> making dance work. Yeah. And if you try and make your dance work mean exactly what you... No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> yeah, isn't that funny? Because then how would you make dance, I guess? <laughs> well, because I've resigned my... I've, I just resigned myself to knowing that you, know, you can't convince everybody. Yeah which is weird when I've just gone on about how I try to make myself really clearly understood. <laughs> but I guess words feel more finite than yeah. um, than dance. Dance is subjective. Yeah, and, and that every mode of interaction requires a level of literacy mm. from both sides. Mm. And we are a a linguistic-based learning culture. Mm. And so there's an assumed level of literacy that is not across the board. Mm. That's why I went to a, um, a shooting range and did a, like an intro to pistol shooting because I had only visual literacy with mm. firearms from like James Bond or like right. something I've watched my whole life. Yeah. But I had no kinetic literacy yeah or experience or whatever and in that particular area (laughs) (laughs) yeah not at all um well you haven't even picked up a arcade gun i yes but rifles not pistols okay okay um Hmm. and it was interesting there's just me and one other person and she was studying to become a policewoman And there's just a series of weapons and you try them out. Like you feel the recoil and you feel the mm. explosion and the agency shift and the adrenaline mm. peak. Mm. It's very strange. Anyway, that once was enough. <laughs> but you learn through combination of visual and then obviously you've learned again through the kinetic action of yeah. doing it. Yeah. Well... Yeah, well, I guess it's that interesting thing because we are a visual society as much as we are um, literacy-based one. Mm. Increasingly because, you know, social media, all that sort of stuff. But it's still of, like, 
easily relatable things. Yeah. It's just another reflection of the world which we quite understand and can relate to. But when you start seeing a person flailing about, as my father would say. <laughs> is that the kind of curry that you make? No, but to, to a person that doesn't have the kinetic language of okay. dance yeah. they have the kinetic language of pedestrian actions and everyday actions but True. they don't have it of dance and so then they can't read it I feel like Charlie Chaplin did it quite well yeah he like did he was turning the volume up to 11 on pedestrian movement up to 11 <laughs> yeah or 20 or like it was it was large yeah it was slapsticky amplification yeah. of yeah and we're making we're trying to choreograph in avoidance of mm. the um, extreme or the slapstick or the literal. And at times the pedestrian. And I often try and avoid the pedestrian, but I don't try and avoid the the body being read as a person. Mm. I actually like will reduce the possibility of the choreography and the dancer so that they still seem like a person and not like a creature or a machine mm. because as soon as I'm watching someone and they're no longer a person then I don't care for them mm-hmm. whereas I feel like there's probably some people that would maybe connect more with like seeing a person dance like a dog creature. or a creature because then they can go into the imaginative realm and accept the unknown yeah, and the imaginative okay like Smeagol yeah yeah okay but Smeagol was a person and somehow they maintained their personage. Yeah. They weren't a, um, a concept beyond... Yeah. Somehow the humanity has to remain. Or, like, what about then, like, is it devolution or something? Or whatever that... That uh, ADT with the, with the machines and the extended arms. They're yeah. dancing all like robots. Yes, they're humans, but, like... Yeah. I don't actually think the audience probably connects with that human thing on a very conscious level they're probably just going ah oh, I can see that they're trying to move like a robot okay. <laughs> I can kind of go into my imagination on that now but when it is just these bodies moving in space with no real like I don't know narrative or like specific theme yeah and when I see the queen on TV I like to remember that she had to wake up this morning <laughs> like she had to wash her face yeah or someone washed her face, but... <laughs> I guess I'm, I feel like maybe it's because you can see them as humans, but then you see these humans doing things you don't necessarily understand. Yeah, and, and so that then that's what me then, away. I love that. Yeah, but you have the language of dance. <laughs> so that's the point of difference. I'm talking about the people that don't have that language and then what... I guess sometimes... I mean, I'm just assuming here, this is my conclusion, that that's what throws them because it's an unknown space for them. And people don't really like the unknown. So there's also there's like when you see someone operating a a backhoe or a, an excavator of some kind, and mm. somehow they've become so adept at it that it becomes uh, second nature. Yeah, it's they're not thinking about the joints of the machine anymore. They're thinking about the action mm. and the output. Um, and that is the thing that is impressive and then taken for granted instantly 
Wow, that's smooth as. All right, get it done. <laughs> like when I've operated a side loader before and I, I feel like I'm doing quite well, but my brother does it every day. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that's what it's like for us as dancers watching choreography? <laughs> um, we move beyond the actual amazement of how things are being done and we just kind of assess whether it's been done quick enough or slow enough or, you know, yeah. precisely enough. <laughs> I think rock concerts do this well where they move back and forward between people getting lost in a song and mm. then people marveling at a solo. Right. Yeah. And the, like the shredding of a solo or the <laughs> shredding. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm showing my age and I don't know if they do that anymore at concerts. No, I mean that's just live performance, so Yeah. Um, I also think it's something to do with there's the other intersection of like the unknown but then also this thing of like as a society we kind of probably perceive contemporary dance as a pretentious thing <laughs> a bit wafty so I was, uh, yeah. you know Lebeau's. whether you believe it wholeheartedly or not you come from a society that probably through other indications of like values that we put on it whether that's through finance or time that we give it space that we give it you come into watching this thing if you're not really familiar with dance and you kind of just probably have that floating around in the back of your head. <laughs> I'm mm. assuming of non-dance folk. Yeah, I don't... Non-regular people, like people that don't go regularly. Um, think about making contemporary dance. And I don't think of myself as a contemporary dancer. I think that I... I like dancing and I like dancing with people and I like the problem-solving that choreography forces upon you. But I... I don't feel beholden to uh, a genre or a lineage. Mm -hmm. I feel very grateful to mm. all of the lineages that have developed a form that I may inhabit. Inha in, inhib not inhibit. <laughs> inhabit. Yeah. Body. Yeah, and that there, there are on. forms, like there is a barn dance that exists that I can become a part of and do and I don't have to invent it yeah. and that there is a cipher that I can become a part of and do um, and that there is no I don't really think but like, I think contact I think that there's like a form called contact that has a series mm. of rules um, so that you can ballet led to contemporary <laughs> yeah well I think <laughs> I understand that contemporary was a revolt against ballet and then ballet subsumed it and said oh yes but you need to do ballet as well to be good at that yeah 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 totally. um so I'm, i'd still stay on the revolt side okay but i understand that what ballet did but i think some contemporary style uh training regimes can still do is give you a very developed kinesphere mm-hmm and I know ballet does that, but I think ballet does that by breaking the potentials of a body down into quadrants. Yeah. And then naming them French words. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think you can get that Louis from Forsyth, can't so. you? Hmm? You can get that from Forsyth and yeah. Feldenkrais and other... Counter technique. Counter, yeah, like all these things where you break the body down into quadrants. But Rayum. perhaps that is a <laughs> thing to pass through mm. and that the most beautiful like it makes I'm I'm conflicted because I understand that even in our musical system we break tonality down into notes mm -hmm. and I think that happens with with dance that you break 
movement potential down into positions mm. and that that makes it far more quantifiable, no, legible. Mm. And I want legibility because otherwise there is no form mm. or communication or language or structure or inter interaction and engagement. I don't think you're giving someone something if it is illegible. I, d I believe in legibility, mm. but I also lament <laughs> that legibility has the eventual impact of clearing the forest and planting pine trees in a row mm. because you can easily count them from space. But the undergrowth is gone and the creatures are gone and the nuance of the ecosystem is gone. Yeah. I don't know what to do about that, except I have found that it helps to keep a very strong relationship between music and movement, mm. because that maintains a legibility regardless of dance form, mm -hmm. and that it helps if you're not a weirdo in your face. <laughs> and it helps if you do something at some point that clearly demonstrates these are my thoughts i'm not sold but this is what i'm relying on yeah, so. that clearly demonstrates that you've considered this and you've made every decision mm. and that you're not wasting people's time mm. even if you do shit that they don't get they should at some point feel like that was deliberate yeah and that's about respect that like i'm the host i've invited you to come and see this thing i've guaranteed that at least three minutes are going to blow your mind and the rest probably could be awesome Mm. based on the structure that I've set up. <laughs> yeah. And the training that we've done or something like that. Yeah. But I think that also just, like, it doesn't have to necessarily be a respect for those coming to see it. It should be a respect for your own work that you're making. Mm. Yes, Sam, yes. Because I don't, I, I do that, but I don't do it in relation to those coming to see it. I do it out of respect for my dancers and out of respect for myself as a maker. I rarely think about the audience. Beyond just being like, you're going to sit 360. Ah, oh, right. You know. Yeah, in the round. Up, up until this point with works I have made, yes, I don't really think about the audience, nor do I worry what they think right up until the minute they set foot into and the And they room. walk in, you're like, oh, fuck that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is a pretty common experience, I think, for most people. Yeah, right. Um, but, yeah. It's just that sort of, you know, balance between enforcing the structure, putting the mm. trees in a row, mm. and then equally letting their group, the roots underneath the ground to just do their thing. Mm. So when you find the balance between that, um, how you know you've done that? I don't know, but no, um, I don't know either. yeah, I think yeah. I'm not sure where that thought was going, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're getting bitten. A little bit, yeah. You want to bail from the biting area, the Maybe. biting grounds? Yeah. I don't think I've got any spray. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> 
just whip it out. So, but you're gonna, you're, you've made a work and you're reflecting on it. Yeah, I've Does made it? like three works. Okay. Four, mm, Are yeah, you three works. Reflecting on all of them. Um, primarily reflecting on the bigger one, the mm. main one, which I, which I deem the main one, which is the last one I made, the duet, Nella and Bernie, and the thing you made a, you made the uh, robot for. Yes. <laughs> um, yes. That was my debut as a robot maker in performance. It was great. It's just the works that I made along the way, mm. because I was maximising platforms that just required you to make an outcome, like oh. shortcuts. Yes. Or link, you know, like they just required me to make a an outcome, um, which actually works out best for me because, you know, putting things into structures or like sequences a beginning, middle and end for a work mm. is very useful in um, the creation process of a work. I, um, you know, toiling on an idea or an image for at, like a month is not my thing because I work in that very like anything goes and it's about how you provide the context mm. around it is what's important. So naturally putting things into like work the beginning middle and end tends to help with that mm. um because again it gives you that chance to have that perspective okay so you can assess whether what you're doing is good or not but what happened i think maybe this last this year specifically is that because i had link but i had like one week in like march then i didn't see them until one week in april and then I didn't see them till three weeks in June. So it's like I had these periods where they, I didn't see them. Yeah. But in between those periods, I either went to Bundanon or I had a residency yeah. in Fremantle. I had a shortcuts. And all the while, I'm still working on this same work. But, you know, in terms of thematically and like some movement phrases are the same. But... Mm. Uh, with Link, I was on 12 women. With Shortcuts, it's three. Uh, the other thing I said I did, going to Bundanon was just myself. Uh, then you go to Fremantle and it's Ella and Bernie. Like, so there are always going to be different outcomes that come out of it in terms of creating structures because the room's different, the people are different, the number of people is different. So in a way, through making these works, it was a filtering process essentially. Or a refining process simultaneously, actually. So, desal. Yeah, it was a desal process. Getting rid of that salt. But returning. <clears throat> yeah. So, anyways, that's it. I've never worked that way. It was quite stressful at the time because it felt so disjointed, and I actually didn't feel like I had a grasp on what I was doing. Right. But reflecting back on it, I did. What is that feeling though? That that feels like you have a grasp mm. I guess it's when you have like the image in your head and you can actually make it happen in front of you I didn't have any images in my head but I was making things happen in front of me <laughs> and yeah which can still happen even if you have a traditional development you know, it's yeah. uninterrupted but it's like agency without intention or agenda. Something like that, yeah. Yeah. It just so. felt like I was going through the motions, like I was just making for the sake of making. 
mm. and then trying to analyse the crap out of it because mm. I had a thesis to write. So, like, I was overshadowed. I was looking at things through the lens of, like, the deadline of a thesis. I wasn't actually looking at it as, like, an artist. Like, your desire for it yeah. to exist. Just making work because you want to make, like, yeah. work for this reason of, you know, whatever the theme is. But, like, yeah, so it's it's quite interesting and uh, weirdly rewarding to now look back on everything and be like, oh, no, I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and... At times, very small amounts of times, being like, oh, yeah, I'm pretty good at what I'm doing. <laughs> so it's kind of affirming. It's also, like, gives me a bit more faith in just going into that sort of unknown realm that you feel you're in when you're making. Is that why you're so good when we had a couple of days in the studio when I didn't know if we were doing anything? Yeah, I'm saying, okay. It's fine. Because <laughs> you've totally practiced fine. it. Yeah. I mean, you find other ways of combating that. I mean, I guess when it got to Fremantle, I had already, like, even though I still felt like I didn't know what I was doing choreographically mm. to make myself feel a bit better, and also because of, like, logistics, I didn't have time, I um, had already pre-ordered costumes and fabric to put around the hills and I'd made the headpieces. Like, I had everything pretty much lined up, except right. for the robot with you, yeah. the material that the girls did, like, the actual choreography mm. itself. Yeah and how that would be structured and then um, all the sound from me. So, but I had all this, also this huge catalogue of studio time that I'd had over a year and a half, mm. so. And a dream team. And a dream team, yeah. Mm. So, I mean, that was one way of dealing with it, the unknown. The other way, just on a practical level, is I just actually started just editing studio footage like a like a video reel like I just would use it to restructure stuff and just film it and then just structure it through the video mm. which seems like a really like the <laughs> the <laughs> simple technique that you might learn in choreography 101 um turns out they're useful huh for me Those it was simple techniques yeah for mm. me it was because I am visual and being um out of the room mm away from the pressure of the dancer standing there waiting for you to make a decision um, or maybe they weren't keep waiting for you they were totally fine but you thought you were putting pressure on yourself to make the decision so and something about cutting it in a video is like weirdly uh, less permanent in my mind like it's just like oh it's just a video yeah. it doesn't mean anything no one's going to see this except no. me yeah. so you can play around with things a bit more but yeah, mm. so just those things. Social media, that's also another thing. Curate your own experience. <laughs> for yourself? Or yeah, as a reflective out. tool. Ah, right. Yeah. Like that one video I put on Instagram from Bundanon on yes. was essentially the main phrase of the duet. Right. With a few added movements here and there. So, yeah. <laughs> it's useful. Yeah, it's a presentation platform. Yeah, it's just giving you different, you know, different pair of sunglasses to look at it through, you know, it's just useful. Get out of your own head, I guess. Well, that... And body sometimes. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's where I go. Yeah. Into the body. But usually with help from Beyonce or Rihanna or something like yeah. that. Yeah. 
I think in this instance, normally mm. I would mm. do that, but in this instance, um, because I had been so much in my head with thinking and writing, it had in, it felt like it was preventing my body from doing things. Yeah. So to get outside of that realm as much as you can and just, you know, switching into looking at a video, I don't know, somehow that shifted all of that. Mm. Yeah, simple, simple techniques. The more I make, the more I realise I just got to keep it simple. <laughs> it's actually, you know, we make things way too complicated in our heads already. You don't need to complicate it in physical form. Right. <laughs> I remember at Dance North, we, Gavin would just write up a, like, oh, what are they, what are bands called? A play sheet. A play set, set list. A set list. Yeah. And then you'd do a run of the show and then he would take lunch to think about what he'd just seen and then he'd write another set list. Mm. And so all the work that could easily be done by video editing was yeah. done by the dancers. But I've done it that way too, though, where yeah. you, like, put each section or each phrase on a piece of paper and then you just, like, stick it on the wall and then you shift it around. Oh. And, like, you draw charts of the energy levels and, like, all that oh. sort of stuff. I mean, the dancers were doing it. So you could still see the visuals of yeah. the dancing rather than thinking about it. But no, you're right, now that you remind me. When, yeah, I've done that when it's been, when I've been the performer, so I can't right, actually. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, I did that choreographically for mm. the performers because mm. I couldn't, for some reason, as soon as they started moving, I would get too lost in the experience of it that I wouldn't, I, just, I wouldn't be able to, like, actually go, oh, no, this thing needs to move here and this needs right. to move here, so and you just take it out and put it, again, on a wall or on the floor. Just somehow, it just, yeah, it just weirdly changes the way you look at things. Not weirdly, it just changes the way you look at things. Mm. Perspective. <laughs> Buzzword. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Anyways. Cool, Em. It's been an hour. Is that enough for you? You're done? No, no, I'm just aware that it's getting close to dinner and I'm worried <laughs> that you're getting hungry. <laughs> it is... I've got four different time zones on my watch at the moment. It's a little silly. Was there anything you want to ask? Yeah, everything. I want to ask, like, how should I make work? Who's gonna, who's gonna care if I do it? Um, if if it's not pleasurable, and most of the time that you spend in this situation is making. Mm-hmm then would it be better to find something that was more pleasurable? <laughs> yes. I think it's always pleasurable, but just at varying degrees. And also, I think we get ourselves in a state as artists, particularly dance artists, that we should be enjoying ourselves because it's, a, you know, it's dance, so it should be fun. You're working with your friends, it should be fun. It's not. <laughs> it's hard work. I often come home feeling more depressed than excited from a day's work. Um... So, yeah, it's hard work because you are being rigorous and you're thinking about things and you're analysing things and it's often tied into yourself as a human being. So I think to take the pressure off yourself thinking that it should be fun and pleasurable all the time mm-hmm. is uh, important. Mm-hmm. But then on the same hand, uh, you know, on the other hand, it's really hard industry and a hard life, so why the hell would you do it if you don't love it? Mm-hmm. 
but that's why I said it's always pleasurable it's just at varying degrees like sometimes it's in the pain level of pleasurable yeah yeah or if it's only like the finest amount of like yeah I guess I should do it because I don't know how to do anything else well at least you know how to do something (laughs) so it's pleasurable (laughs) Um, it definitely is enjoyable to flex the muscle that you've trained. Exactly. Yeah. When to get moving and you get the endorphins and so on and so forth. But yeah. um, why you should make work and is anyone going to care? That's just... If anyone cares, you are the only one who should care. Okay. First off, because if you don't care about it, then why should anyone else? Mm. Um, that's a little bit like, you know... <laughs> I don't know why I think this was to be like, you know, tree falls. Can anyone hear it in the forest? Yeah. No one's around. But it's like... Well, it does vibrate the air, but if yeah. there's no one there to hear it, then it doesn't technically make sound, I think. I read an essay on this question. Dance is still... It's your way of understanding the world. So the yes. more you understand it through how you need to understand it, the better you can contribute to the world. Yes. So whether that's actually through having a conversation with someone or they come and see your dance work. Yeah. Yeah. It was a means to an end. It was a tool for knowledge. For living. <laughs> so, uh, yes. And then how you should make work, well, one foot in front of the other <laughs> and then remember it. <laughs> and do you... What's... What's your biggest hope for all of this um, making and reflecting and um, getting better at communicating and <laughs> manifesting things physically and then sharing those with people and, and doing even though you can't grasp what you're doing and then having the moment where you grasp? I guess the biggest hope is that it actually just establishes a new... Um, base level to exist from as an artist Mm. Mm. that it actually enables me to contribute back into my form and my community I guess and I mean it began because I didn't I, I say it began this whole thing because I didn't have any other doors open to me at the time but And because I wanted to clarify my language of what it is that I do. So my biggest hope wasn't really ever present when I began this journey. And it's still not quite um, clear to me what it is, why I've done this. But um, I'm already experiencing that the benefit of doing this is that I am able to have discussions with people, particularly younger dancers, and somehow... um, help them it's helping them through hearing about my discoveries or my perspective on things and because it's a clearer perspective now it's more beneficial for them Um, so if anything that's a sharing of knowledge I guess that's the biggest hope it's so wanky but it's true (laughs) also yeah just hopefully it just My singular hope for most things I do with works when I make a work is that it will then inform the next thing that I do. So as long as it does that, we're good. 
which it already has because I'm about to start a new thing in March. Oh, really? So... Like a show? No, just like a new project. Have you spoken about that yet? Do you want to talk about it? Well, it's the seed thing. Yes. So it's just a refinement of um, this sort of idea of landscapes. The thing that I'm auditioning for <laughs> as a dancer. <laughs> that one. Cool. I'll send you my show reel. Cool. Okay, <laughs> you do that. Um, you definitely can be involved, but potentially just not really as a dancer. Because I haven't quite jumped off this female dancing realm yet. Anyways. Um, but, yeah. It's just, instead of talking about uh, this idea of landscapes in terms of... Um, perspective or relational space it's just specifically honing into actual natural bloody landscapes like mountains and hills and seas and <laughs> environment so it's looking at that more specifically and um the parallels between that and i guess the i'm doing air quotation marks here the female experience mm. whatever that means to me mm. um which i think actually this particular project is a amalgamation of the masters and this other project yonder so it's like the two of them coming together to make an, another little branch <laughs> so you know i'm sure the masters alone will inform something else later Is down it the track like fractals everything you make branches off into a couple of things yeah mm. but then that's also because everything i do often is explored through different facets of practice so it's yeah. already you know got a full branch before it branches off again so um how far i pursue each branch and try and make it grow i don't it varies mm. greatest hope is that this work could actually just get a life on stage <laughs> Amen. as is every artist's dream <laughs> for their choreographic pieces yeah, um, <clears throat> but then then so. you want it to uh, then you want like an ABC special. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I used to think I wanted to have a company. I don't want that. I used to think I wanted to be commissioned, but I don't know if I want that. Mm. You know, it's. I definitely want commissions. Yeah, I'd rather have a commission than anything else. So maybe that's you know. But I'd give it a shot. I'd give running company a shot until it broke me. Because mm. <laughs> I imagine it does for a lot of people. Mm. I don't know. Just be nice to be held in some level of esteem amongst your national... Oh, national. Like, you know... Yeah, like being held in esteem in your local community, of course. But yes. um, that's kind of sometimes more important than the national scale. But... Yeah. I guess the long term is to be held somewhere. To become a national treasure. Not national treasure, like but just to be means. one of those points of reference for people when they're talking about things. Ah, so yes. The same way I would refer to people like, not that I'm ever going to be on the scale of like Ros Crisp or something like that, or Anthony Hamilton. <laughs> like, but, you know, or Lucy or Gideon or, you know. Mm. But to be in the back of people's or in the in the in the you know, library of people's knowledge I'd like to be in there somewhere 
preferably my own publication. That'd be good. <laughs> mm. Mm. A full volume. A full volume, yeah. Mm. Yes. Uh, so, yeah. How that happens, I don't know. If it happens, I don't know. I'm just in it for the long haul, as far as I'm aware. Slow burn. Yeah, slow War burn of at both ends of the candle at the same time. Yeah. Anyways. I've said that now. I've brought it into being, so hopefully uh, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> and I hope it doesn't do the opposite where it jinxes me. <laughs> it doesn't do it at all. <laughs> but... Um, the fine line. It'd also be fine if that's what happened. If that's what's meant to be, that's what's meant to be. I've tried. According to who? I thought this is all according to you. Like what's meant to be. Is well, you know, you, you work. I don't say you just sit back and wait for what's meant to come to you to happen. Like know. you're definitely going out there and you're trying to make certain things happen, mm. but you can push as far as you like up a hill. Mm. But if it decides to fall out from underneath you, there's nothing mm. you can do about it. So it was meant to happen. You yeah, I think fall. that about people that had aspirations that we're talking about and then some bullshit comes along like a war mm. like it's over that was just what was unfortunately meant to be doesn't mean that when you say it's meant to be that it's always <laughs> going to be a positive thing but and that you're going to like it mm. but um I don't know mm. I guess that's my way of sort of accepting things trusting instead of like being I don't know what's the word um resentful or mm. feeling like I'm hard done by mm. <laughs> which is I fall into that feeling a lot as in from an artist's perspective really <laughs> you hide it well oh, no, ask Michael <laughs> <laughs> particularly around grand final time I'm oh. just like oh fuck you know no one understands the art <laughs> part of the artist blah blah <laughs> you know <laughs> so it's you know Perspective is useful. You just long-term commitment, slow burn, constant negotiation. Do you? W- it's gonna be okay. <laughs> okay, I am on board with all of those things until I look ahead at someone who's five, ten years ahead of me, mm. who's still battling, and I wonder: is that my like? Is that what is on offer? Mm. And do I want it? Mm. But if I don't think about those things, then I'm all I'm on board. And you just find yourself there in 20 <laughs> yes, years' time. Ah, like, oh, well, I'm here now. Yeah. I guess it's that thing of, like, trying to stay, like, quite present so you don't think too far ahead, but then equally doing it so that you don't end up in a spot where you're, like, completely screwed because you never put any super aside. Like, you know, oh, you know what example. I mean? Like, those kind of things. Yeah. Like, right it's an equal parts. Occasionally looking forward, occasionally forgetting about the future and just doing what you got to do now right I mean but that's just life I think yes um also because I think most dancers have that crisis once a week if not more yes so I think we just naturally keep ourselves in check and we're constantly analysing life as much as we're analysing um our artwork (laughs) so yeah yeah Wow. Conversations are good. Well, yeah, and it's very nice when someone's good at them. So thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> All 
You're only good at them if the other person's good at them. <laughs> it's an interaction. Yeah, it's yeah. a two-way street. Okay. Yeah, otherwise you're just preaching. Sometimes I preach it myself. Oh, yeah. It's just an internal monologue, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Cool. Should we wrap up? Yeah. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Matt. <laughs>